0: I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited because all five of my grandkids are in the house today. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that doesn't happen that often. Praise God. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Amen. Super duper. Jake, what do you got there in your hand? <laughs> yeah. What a blessing, yeah. woo Well, we've been spending time the last uh, season here uh, thinking about and talking about face-to-face encounters with Jesus. We have just gone through disciple after disciple after disciple and watched how Jesus interfaced with people and called them to be disciples. It's called the chosen. <laughs> you know, he chose people. In fact, we used the video series called The Chosen to kind of illustrate and to pick out individuals that Jesus connected with. And by the way, if you have not had a chance to see that, The Chosen, I encourage you. It's an eight-episode, soon-to-be-16-episode series of people that Jesus interacted with. It's very biblically accurate. And you download an app on your phone you can watch it on YouTube or a number of other places. It's awesome. Tonight, series two starts, episode number one of series number two starts tonight at five o'clock. So some of us are kind of excited about that. We have no clue what it's going to cover, but uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun for us in that opportunity. So what I'm thinking about today, of course, is a face-to-face encounter or multiple faces-to-face encounters with Jesus after his resurrection. So it's the resurrection, the resurrected Lord. We're going to talk about Jesus and his appearance after the resurrection to his disciples. You know, the disciples were uh, holed up. They were quarantined. <laughs> they were socially distanced. They were uh, isolated. Is that, any of these words... Mean anything <laughs> to you today? <laughs> they were uh, sheltering in place, we we might say, on the first Easter. Now, they didn't have a coronavirus to deal with. They didn't have a pandemic that they were uh, quarantining from, but they were quarantining and hiding because of fear of the Jews. And I just want to say it this way. Jot this down in your insert today if you've got the uh, handout with you it's the first thing I want you to think about is Jesus loves to show up when fear is evident, when fear is in leadership, when fear reigns or rules or guides, (laughs) Jesus loves to crash the party. And that's what he does on the first Easter. Here's what it says. This is from John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19 and following. It says this, on the evening of that first day, what's the first day? Sunday, it's the resurrection day. It's the evening of Easter. How many you got some plans today? How many doing the Easter egg hunt? I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, you know? How many doing Easter egg roll down the hill? Oh man, all kinds of fun things, right? How many are gonna have a lot of good food? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we know about Easter evenings, We tend to get together with other people, and that's what they were doing, but they weren't getting together with other people to celebrate. They were getting together with other people to hide. They were hiding out. What's it say? When the disciples were together, that's a key ingredient, with the doors locked for fear. You know, fear does that to us, doesn't it? Fear locks the doors of our life and keeps us from enjoying all that God has in store for us. Fear can be a locking mechanism that keeps you from experiencing God's very, very best, God's joyful stance in life. Lock doors from the evil, what will keep you from experiencing all that God has for you. I call it fear is reigning. Fear is reigning because they are locked for fear. Who? Of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. You know, Jesus used to come to people and some of the Common phrase, one of the most memorable phrases of Jesus when he appears is two words, fear not. Repeat that, fear not. I mean, if we just hear Jesus saying, don't be afraid, fear not. And, And we don't know all the reasons that Jesus said that, but some of the reasons was, we're just so prone to live by fear, to let fear lock us out of God's best, God's grace, God's mercy, and God's love. See, these Jewish leaders had been the ones who had tried Jesus, some kangaroo courts, but they convicted Jesus. They flogged Jesus. They beat him within an inch of his life. Then they hung him on a cross until his life ebbed out from him. And so if you were a follower of Jesus... It would be natural to go, whoa, if that happened to our leader, they're coming after us next. So they're behind the locked doors thinking, oh, my goodness, there are things to be fearful of. There was the fear of the unknown, which is always what scares us. I mean, fear of the unknown is the hallmark of what fear is all about. Our natural tendency and inclination to fight or flight. You know that, right? Fight or flight. We we tend to do that when we have fear, and it's a fear of the unknown. What are they doing? They're flighting. They're locking themselves up to protect themselves from the did you see this was totally Uncharted territory for them. For the last number of years, they had been following Jesus every day. They had watched Jesus heal people. They had watched Jesus turn water into wine. They had watched Jesus do amazing things. And they were ready for Jesus to take over the Romans, to lead the way as the Messiah, to be king on the throne. And then he gets crucified. He gets hung on a cross. His life is gone and all of their plans whew, out the window. That reminds me of this last year around here. Well, where were we at last Easter? We didn't even get to meet. Do you remember that? All our plans whew, out the, Did anybody experience that this last year? You know what I'm talking about, right? And probably in a minor way compared to what they were dealing with because they had built their life on this opportunity that Jesus had given them. Come and follow me and we'll change the world. And now, to their recognition, where they're at at the moment, it's over. Now they've heard rumors. Mary's reported to them that she's seen him. They've declared that maybe somebody stole the body. The body's not there. He's gone. But they don't know where they had put him. So this unknown uncharted territory is reigning and of course there's fear of personal loss jot that down often fear strikes us most when it strikes close to home what's going to happen to me what's going to happen to us what's going to happen to my family my kids my loved ones and isn't that the case this last year We've all experienced an understanding of personal loss. When I go around small groups, there's hardly a person in our midst that hasn't been drastically affected by a loved one or someone. Right now, uh, some of our friends are up um, up on the peninsula that used to lead for 25, almost 30 years, the camp, Pleasant Valley Camp, Dan and Marcy Hamilton. I just found out they're in intensive care. With the coronavirus, it's like, oh, not another one. And personal loss makes you feel this is, this is coming close to home. You know? this is serious. And when risk is high, fear is high. When risk is high, fear is high. And there was this fear of suffering. Remember, Jesus said it this way. He said, if the world hates me, the world's going to hate you. If you're a follower of mine, he warned them ahead of time. If you're going to be a follower of mine, know that there's a war going on and somebody will oppose you. You can love the world and the things in the world and you'll have an easier time in many ways. You choose the opposite. You choose to follow Christ and there might be some suffering. He said, take up your cross daily. Daily. And follow me. So people who say, I want to be a follower of Christ, don't do it to have an easy road. Do it because he's Lord. Do it because he's the savior. Do it because he's the master and the leader. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said in John 16, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. That's the truth. Yeah. In fact, in in Matthew 24, Jesus said, there's certain things that are gonna happen in this world, certain things that are realities. He said, nation is gonna rise against nation. There will be clashes and wars. He he described a bunch of things. He said, one thing, pestilence will arise and it will affect the entire population. You kind of go, did he know in advance that this coronavirus thing is gonna, a pandemic? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, suffering is a reality in this world, whether or not we're followers of Christ. But if we follow Christ, the suffering takes on a different dimension. Jesus said, the present suffering you're going through is nothing to be compared to the eternity that he has in store for us. One more fear. This is the most challenging one. This is the one that guys hate the most. You know, just my opinion It seems like especially guys hate to be powerless. Can you relate to that? We want to know we've got control over our circumstances. Or When we're feeling powerless, the fear drives straight to the heart. Oh my gosh, what do I do? I don't know how to protect or what to do. Now, note what happened. Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up. You need to know that whenever fear is involved and fear is reigning or leading, Jesus wants to show up. He wants to be there. The Bible says, even when we gather in his name, two or more, he he says, I am there in your midst. Jesus, he shows up in this story, but he shows up whenever. Jesus loves to show up in fearful settings and he loves to turn fearful settings around. He loves to speak into them. In fact, let's go on to the next. What does he speak into them? (laughs) What does he speak into them? Peace. Peace. Jesus loves to take a fearful setting and pray into it, lead into it, and say, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Unto you, what kind of settings need Christ's peace? No. Have any of you needed an extra measure of Christ's peace spoken into your world these days? No. I hear about the mom who says, "I just cleaned my house and it's trashed again." Or the person working from their home that says, "I can't get my kids out of the zoom call. That relate to anybody? <laughs> you know? Someone who says, we ran out of toilet paper and the kids are home. <laughs> you know? You need some extra measure of peace on those situations, right? Someone who says, you know, I was real lonely before the quarantine and the isolation, and now I'm really lonely. I hurt bad. The teenager who says, you know, my friends said they wanted to commit suicide. And I said, I feel like that sometimes too. Gosh, speak peace into those fearful settings. Jesus comes. Someone who says, I don't know if I should take the virus vaccination or not. I don't know if it's safe. I don't know if they've done the right research. Can can we get some peace to overarch all of it? Those people who love structure and say, there is no structure right now. I need peace. Yeah, Jesus Speaks peace to his disciples. Here's how he does it. He stood before them and said, Peace be with you. Peace. This is the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. And it has underneath it the broadest meaning of a life filled with the rightness, a life in order. A life that is at peace because it's not all at odds. And it has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Loving God and loving people. Jesus doesn't just say this once, he ends up saying it several times. Go down a little bit. It says, and again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. He said it again. Why did he say it again? Did they not get it the first time? (laughs) We need to be repeating this important phrase, peace be with you, peace be unto you. And they even said this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending. He kind of gives them a mission, a purpose, a reason for what they're doing. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He enabled that relationship like never before. You see, in essence, Jesus is the peace. Jesus is the peace they were searching for and needed. And so he speaks to them, peace be with you, because he was with them. Is that making sense? Jesus was with them and he's saying, peace be with you. And he didn't just say it once. I think because there was fear, we already saw that, there was also a measure of failure there. Fear and failure because what had happened all of these disciples had abandoned Jesus at the time of his greatest need as Jesus went through the trial even the apostle Peter the great apostle Peter said I don't know him no I have no clue who that is I'm not with him he denied him three times all of the disciples they abandoned him and now he's meeting with them I think he's saying peace be with you not just on the outside from the Jewish leaders That's a big big thing. No, no, no. I think he was speaking to their hearts and saying, peace be to you. Even this guilty, shameful feeling that you're feeling because you abandoned me. He's saying, no, 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 no. We're not about shame around here. We're not about guilt around here. We're about peace around here. And I'm offering you myself as part of that peace. He's saying, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And I think he had to repeat it so it would sink in. So it would get to them. I'm sorry, I'm getting so excited. <laughs> Think of this Philippians chapter 4 for a minute. Powerful verse. If you don't know this, let it, let, it, let it rest with you for a minute. It's the only other verse out of, besides the John 20 verse that we're going to go through. And the peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding. You can't figure it out with your brain. It's not a mental, intellectual opportunity. It is a spiritual opportunity. It's the peace of what? God. It's the peace given by God, and it's the peace that encompasses God. It is God in your life. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your what? What? Hearts and your minds. Even though it's not an intellectual thing, the peace of God will guard it. The peace of God will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. You know, today we need this more than ever before. You probably know this. They say that 50 million Americans are on anxiety treatment. Fifty million out of three hundred and thirty million residents. I mean, that's our that's our population, and I'm not here to say that's bad. I'm saying here here to say there's a problem. And even though great men of medical understanding are trying to come to grips with this, they're handing out medication and they're trying treatments. Something is wrong with our culture and our society and our people. Something is wrong when anxiety, fear is ruling and reigning and peace is not. Something's wrong because so many people, I think, are running. They're running from fear of other things. They're running from their own hearts and lives. They're not being guarded in their heart and their soul and their mind by the Lord. In fact, they say in the last 10 years, medication for anxiety Disorder is up 5,000% in the last 10 years, 5,000%. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, and I'm, again, I'm not, if, you're, if you're in that picture, I'm not criticizing you at all, at all. But I'm saying there's a picture here we need to get a hold of and say there's something deeper going on in our lives, in our culture, and in our hearts. And I think the answer is what they found. The answer is in Christ. The answer is in the peace of God. If you don't have the peace of God, anxiety will reign and rule and lead in all kinds of directions. Here's what I say. (laughs) Jesus found them in fear, but he left them with peace. He found them one way, and uh, like Mary Magdalene said, now I'm completely different. Now, He left them in peace. Give it to God, your anxiety. Give him a a chance to have peace in the midst of it all. So what did Jesus do? He came. What did Jesus do? He stood in their midst. What did Jesus do? He spoke peace into their world and into their life. And then he hung out. He stayed. He spent some time with them. And what the result is he stirred up joy, 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 joy. They went from fearful living to joyful living. They went from grief, mourning the Savior who had been crucified, to joyful, in fact, what here's what it says. He showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed. Circle that. They were overjoyed. <laughs> They were abundantly joyful. They were so tickled. They were so happy. They were so joyful they could not even handle it. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You see, everything had hung. Everything had had rested on who Jesus was. And now he says, go ahead, take a look. By the way, isn't it interesting? The, The scars were still there. You know, he'd been to heaven and back. He'd been to the Father. He told Mary, don't don't hang on to me because I haven't yet been to the Father. That was in the morning. Now he'd been to the Father and he's he's still got the scars. Why is that? For our benefit. For their benefit. For our joy. The joy set before him is us. Jesus stirs up the joy as he shows them himself. Can you even imagine him sticking out his hands and his side, saying, here, here, here's the proof, here's the evidence. And I want to say it this way. Jesus meets us right where we're at. He knew those men and those women in that upper room where they were meeting, where they were, wherever they were at, he knew they needed some evidence to, to believe. He knew that their hearts were fearful. So he met them where? Where? He didn't criticize them. He met them right where they were at. And you need to hear that today. On this Easter 2021, you need to hear he's meeting you and wants to meet you right where you are at. You don't have to change to come to him. He'll change you from the inside out. You don't have to get all good and proper to become a follower of Christ. No, follow Christ and he'll develop you into the person that looks like him. That's where he meets people where... There, yeah, that's why they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And notice it's the Lord. It wasn't just a figment of their imagination. It was the Lord Christ. He meets us right where we are at. They were down. They were discouraged. They needed help, and Jesus met them right there. You know what he did? He changed their perspective. When they saw the Lord, everything else to kind of different, nothing changed about their circumstance. Were the Jews still after him? Yes. Were they still locked behind closed doors? Yes. Was there anything else in their life that changed? No. But they saw the Lord, and as they saw the Lord, that's what changed was their perspective. Number two, Jesus wants a relationship. Excuse me, Jesus wants a relationship. He wanted them to say. It's really him. He's back. (laughs) And give them an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. That was what it was all about. And that's why he made the first move. He's not waiting for you to make the first move. He's already invited you in. He's already made the first step and said, please believe, trust, come, and he wants to stir up that joy inside of us this overflowing joy their hearts were lifted up as he is alive again and he is forever alive their perspective changed our light and momentary troubles will pale in comparison the Bible says to eternity to matters of eternity let's go on to the Last one. Oh, he found them in grief, and he left them in joy. He found them in fear. He left them in peace. He found them in grief, and he left them in joy. Let's jump into this one, last one. It's got a couple of parts to it. But he builds, he sows into them belief or trust. He sows trust into the disciples and builds up their heart of faith, builds up their trust in what I want to use for this is Thomas. Jesus shows uh, sows into Thomas's life, and uh, see, Thomas wasn't there. Thomas, one of the disciples, was not there, and so when he was told, here's what it says: Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So this Easter night, he didn't make it. <laughs> By the way, you miss a lot when you miss church gatherings. Okay? This whole thing, the whole thing about doubting Thomas, wouldn't be there if he'd made the meeting. <laughs> you know, think about it for a minute. Uh, <laughs> he was not with the 12 when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. But Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks, unless I put my hands in, in the fingers in the nail prints, and put my hand into his side, I, what's it say? Key word there, I will not believe. Notice it's not, I cannot believe. Notice it's, I will not believe. Everybody's got their threshold. Everybody's got their criteria that says, I need this in order to bank on that, in order to place my trust put my faith, in order to sow trust in my life, I've got to have this kind of willingness. It's a willingness to trust. Trust is about relationship. It's about relationship. We all have this threshold. I want to use for an illustration of this, a man who was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, for a couple of decades. His name is Lee Strobel. Any of you ever heard of him? Okay, I want to use a, a, a illustration of that here this morning, and he'll teach us a little quickie about the evidence that turned his disbelief into belief. You have done
1: the world a great service by writing a series of books, *The Case for Christianity*. Thank you. And uh, your latest book, The Case for Miracles, and then this beautiful book, a very simple, easy book on the case for Easter. You were an atheist. Right. And your wife became a believer. Right. And you said, I'm going to prove that that's just a bunch of nonsense. I thought I could rescue her from this cult if I could just <laughs> disprove the resurrection. You so know? you went out to prove that there wasn't any basis well, for Well, you know, I've been a journalist at the Chicago Tribune for a number of years. and I've seen a lot of dead bodies, but no, none of them came back to life. <laughs> so I thought, I thought okay, yeah. give me a weekend. I can disprove the resurrection. Well, as I say, almost two years later, what I learned is that uh, four facts that really blew me away. Number one, the execution of Jesus, that he was mm. dead. Even the peer-reviewed scientific Journal of the American Medical Association uh, carried an authoritative article that concluded by saying, uh, clearly, based on the historical and medical evidence, Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Mm. So um, even the atheist historian, Gerd Ludeman, says it's historically indisputable that Jesus was dead. Secondly, I found out that we have reports of the resurrection, including named eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus, within months. Then third, the empty tomb. Well, I found out even the opponents of Jesus (laughs) admitted the tomb was empty. They conceded it was empty. They just tried to explain how it got empty by saying the disciples stole the body. And then, eyewitnesses. Most of what we know from ancient history, we know from one or two sources. And yet for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they met the risen Christ. That is a avalanche of historical data. In the case for Easter, what do you feel like is the most important lesson for those who, mm. who are approaching Easter And are are looking to it and saying, is this just another Christian observance? Because, I mean, churches will be packed on Easter Sunday like never before, even more than uh, during Christmas. So what's the hope, the message that you're trying to make sure we don't miss? I think a couple of things. Number one, uh, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. And frankly, there's no hope for us as humankind. But the other thing on a very practical level is this. If God can take the worst thing that could ever happen in the history of the universe, which is the death of the Son of God on a cross, Hmm. and turn it into the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him, then why can't he take our problems and our trials and tribulations and draw good out of those as he promises to do in scripture?
0: Yeah. Someone like Lee, who wanted to disprove Christianity because his wife had accepted Christ. You know, what really, you know what really ticked him off? What really made him motivated? He saw that she had written a contribution check to the church that he considered fallacious. He, 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 he had decided was in air, was a cult. It wasn't. It was a very healthy church. But he, that just ticked him off, and that's what put him on a two-year Trajectory to disprove this crazy religion she'd been a part of. All the while, he was watching her behavior change. He was watching the, the evidence in her life and he examined the evidence. What are those four things? Do you remember them? The, do you remember the four things that he said were the ease? The first one was the execution, that Jesus was indeed executed. It's a, it's a historically um, verifiable fact. The early records, that it's not years and months and and decades down the road. It was right up to weeks and months after the resurrection. that he talks about the empty tomb. That even the critics said it's empty. Where's the body? No one has a clue. The third one, or the fourth one was the eyewitnesses. And you need to know today that your faith and my faith based in the scriptures is because of the eyewitnesses. We don't get to see the resurrected. He doesn't say to us, here, put your hand in these wounds. But we have the eyewitness, powerful, confirmed accounts by those eyewitnesses. So what is it going to take to resolve doubt in your mind, in your heart, in your life? Maybe you already have, but let me just think about resolving doubt with you for a minute. First of all, resolving doubt happens in, (laughs) you expect a preacher to say this, Church gatherings, okay? I mentioned, the reason he's even called Doubting Thomas is because he was not in the gathering and missed the first opportunity. So he got another opportunity, and guess what it was? It was a church gathering. If you're not meeting regularly with the body of Christ, your doubts will probably grow, and your belief and faith and trust will probably shrink. Can I encourage you? Be a regular participant in a home group. Be a regular participant with those that you can face-to-face encounter the body of Christ because that will dissipate. It will resolve your doubt. It will take it away. Some of you wonder, I'm not growing in my faith. I ask, are you meeting regularly with brothers and sisters in Christ? We can do it now, whereas maybe a year ago we couldn't. Okay? Don't, Don't fear that. Someone pointed out that uh, there was this little boy, like a five-year-old kid, who uh, missed church because he was sick. And it happened to be Palm Sunday, like last week. So all his family came home after he missed church and they had the palm branches, you know, because they had enacted that. And uh, so they're all telling him this story. Oh yeah, Jesus came in and and he was on a donkey and they're telling him the story from the Bible. And the kid's thinking they're talking about church. He's, dang it, the one Sunday I miss, and he shows up. (laughs) It's kind of cute, isn't it? In this case, Thomas, he missed the Lord showing up. So what did Jesus do? Gave him an opportunity. He said, "Uh, a week later, we're in the house. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, just like before, Jesus came and stood among them. Remember before what we said? He came, he stood, he spoke, and he stayed. In this case, he came, he stood, and he spoke. What did he say? The same thing he said to the others. Peace be unto you. Did you get the idea he really wants us to take care of fear in our lives and have a huge dose of his peace My peace, he said, I leave you. Not like the world gives you, I give you. I give you a peace that the world can't even understand. Jesus wants you to know him. And church gatherings are a place where it happens. The disciples were in the house again. Powerful. One more, another one. Resolving doubt happens when you have personal Time with the Lord. In Thomas's case, he's personally dealing with the Lord saying, Hey, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, see my side. He's one on one, face to face. Really fits our, our uh, series here, doesn't it? Face to face with the Lord Jesus, one on one with God. By the way, are you listening to the Lord? Are you speaking? So, Lord, that's what prayer is about. Speaking your heart to God, that's that's personal. The way you're going to deal with doubt in your life is personally through interaction with the Heavenly Father. Speak to Him in prayer. Listen to Him in prayer. He wants to communicate more than you want Him to communicate. Let Him communicate on a regular basis. Be a doubter no more. Another one, resolving doubt. I call it Jesus's number one goal. It's his biggie. It's the big, hairy, audacious goal. And he says, stop doubting. Instead, believe. I'd like you to write the word trust underneath believe there. Because I think belief in our culture. Well, yeah, I believe in God and we tend to mean intellectually. I intellectually believe that there is an existence of God. Trust is a better relational word for our understanding. What we're talking about today isn't believing in his existence. It's trusting him with our eternity. By the way, if you have never yet placed your life In the hands of the the Father and in the hands of the Son, and said, I trust Jesus Christ to take away my sins at the cross, to buy a place in heaven for me, and to give me eternal and abundant life. There's nothing holding you back. You can do that today. Trust Him. Stop doubting and believe. Otherwise, I would ask you the same question that we, we asked earlier What is your threshold? What do you need to see or hear or do for you to believe, for you to stop doubting, for you to trust in him? You know, it's all a relational thing, isn't it? The kids, uh, I went, uh, some of us took the the teenagers up to Pleasant Valley Camp last week. It was a blast. By the way, didn't Mark do a good job? Some of you that were here, yeah, yeah. Um, And I was reminded of when I was young, like four years old, years old, and the camp was still in development. That was a couple years ago. You know how time goes fast. And I remember this, uh, this railroad bridge that went across the creek. Now it's a full-blown bridge, you know, all developed. But at that point, there were railroad ties every three feet or so with the, with the rails that went, the coal cars went on these rails. And it was the way to get across the creek, And I can remember standing there, watching the water go underneath and, you know, the distance and and being fearful. But my dad would just walk across. So one day, I grabbed his hand as he went across, and I had no fear. I just skipped from one to the other, because I knew if I even stumbled a little bit, he'd just pick me up and carry me, you know? And it's that kind of relational confidence that he wants to utilize for us going through life. Going through life, he doesn't want us, to, oh no, and, and be with fear and trepidation. He wants us to grasp firmly his hand and say, I'm going through life with you. I'm taking on life with you, heavenly father. Peace be with you. Yeah. Resolving doubt is Jesus's primary number one. Big, hairy goal. That we would believe, that we would trust him. Look what happens. <laughs> Resolving doubt leads to confession. Remember when Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That confession of who Jesus was stumbles out of Thomas's mouth, a little different. But he says, my Lord. Can you just see him hitting the dirt? Can you see him just bowing his knees in worship and reverence and saying, my Lord and my God. He doesn't even put his hands in the wounds. He doesn't even need that. He, he's had, his threshold has been met. And he bows down and he says, my Lord and my God. Now think about it for a minute. Resolving doubt always leads to confession. Jesus said, if you confess me. Now we talk about confessing sins. We're not talking about confessing sins here. There's plenty of room for that. What he's talking about here is confessing Christ. Confessing who Jesus is. Confessing that he is indeed Lord, Savior, Master, and God. In fact, we're going to have baptism a little later. We're going to ask any participant that goes through the baptism. We're going to ask that question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? The son of the living God. Is he your Lord? Is he your savior? Is he the king and master of your life? You know how we do that? I mean, part of it is, in the New Testament, is uh, that Philip was going through, talking to the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian says, well, can I get baptized now? And Philip says, you can, if you believe. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, if you take him to be Lord and God. Now let me speak to the God part for a minute. Because some people will say, oh, Jesus was such a good teacher. He wasn't God, but he was such a good man. Jesus, he he just exemplified good behavior. I want to say no. It's impossible for Jesus to have allowed Thomas to bow down and call him God and for him to still be a good man. No good man would allow some other man to call him God. (laughs) And because he does, he is either God or he's not a good man. Don't let someone say to you, I believe Jesus was a good moral teacher. He either was God or he's not. You get that? Right in this passage, you see the evidence. Of that, And resolving doubt leads to that kind of confession, that kind of worship, and it grows in your life. It grows, and you can't help but allow that to bubble over and grow. God says that. Remember what happened? The thief on the cross confessed him. Remember? You remember the uh, soldier at the bottom who nailed the nails in his hands as he saw Jesus die? What did he say? Truly this was the Son of God. Do you remember Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who who got the body of Jesus and took it for burial? I mean, in a way, they were confessing who Jesus was. Remember Mary at the tomb? <laughs> my Lord, my God. My Lord and my God. With a heart that believes, with a mouth that confesses. Confess. Yeah. One last one, last one here. Resolving doubt brings amazing blessings in your life. Don't go, well, I'll deal with that later in life. I got more important things to do right now. No, there is nothing more important in your life than who are you gonna trust with your life and with your eternity? Where are you gonna place your belief and your faith and your trust today? Nothing else matters in comparison to that. What you're having for lunch today is important in your stomach's growling, I know, but that pales in comparison to where you're at with God. Because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Who's that? There may have been some in those days, but that's all of us today. We base our faith on the eyewitnesses that saw, those who have seen. Our faith is based on that evidence. And guess what we are? (laughs) Guess what we are? Blessed. Blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Our trust is based in that. Jesus found them in doubt and he left them trusting. He left them believing. In fact, here's what it says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book, the book of John. But these are written, why? Why are these written? Why is the Bible even here? Why is this book even here? That you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and believing you may have life in his name. That's God's goal for every person here this morning, is that you would not leave here without life in his name. Maybe you're exploring things, kicking the tires, and that's okay, but don't kick the tires too long. Wherever the threshold is for you, stop doubting and believe. Good words from Jesus, huh? Declare like Thomas, my Lord, my God. And begin a trajectory of your life, begin a pattern for your life that's radically different from living the way you want, when you want, doing what you want, how you want. Live it the way he wants. He says it easily this way. Follow me. Repeat that. Follow me me. That's what it's all about. Follow me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for giving us Jesus, our supreme example, our model, our leader. Thank you for calling us to yourself and just encouraging us to resolve doubt in our life and to become believers, trusters, those that put our complete trust and control in the hands of your son. Lord, as we think about Thomas today, we thank you for his life, that he's no longer the doubter, he's the truster. And that even in his life, he went to the ends of the earth before he died, that he preached in (laughs) India of all places. Thank you, Lord, for the model and example of that. Lord, we just come to you this Easter day, thanking you so greatly for your love, for your mercy. Keep drawing us to yourself, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.